COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Our goal is to protect the lives and livelihoods of Australians. We have breaking news on a corona scare. The panic buying, self-isolating on a statewide level. Stop it. It's Thursday, 9th of April. Welcome to Coronavirus Watch, where we wrap up all the latest details that affect you right here at home. Natalie Bongiolo and Ben O'Shea joining you. And as always, Ben, you have the latest in case numbers for us. Yeah, yet another day of encouraging news when it comes to the statistics. 14 new cases in WA, of which four are, again, from the Artania cruise ship. uh, And uh, they're all adults uh, aged between 29 and 73. It brings the total number of cases in WA that uh, have come from cruise ships up to 182. That's 37% of the total positive cases in WA. So the cruise ships have certainly done us no favours when it comes to this pandemic. Uh, the the worrying thing in today's numbers is there are two more people in the Kimberley who've tested positive, uh, two Halls Creek Health Service workers. And we've seen that there are, have been a number of health workers in the Kimberley uh, who've contracted the virus. That's an ongoing source of concern for the government. We've seen introduced uh, very tough uh, travel restrictions up there. They've sent uh, health workers up from Perth to help manage that situation, established COVID-19 clinic in Broome. Uh, So yeah, we're definitely watching the Kimberley very closely at the moment. Yeah, of huge concern. And of course, the cruise ships have not done any favours to our friends in the East Coast either. Yeah, it's the positive news coming out of the East today and indeed the national numbers is uh, there are only 96 new cases in Australia over the last 24 hours. So that's that's less than 100. Uh, we haven't seen uh, an increase of less than 100 for quite some time now. So that's a real positive sign that all of the tough measures that have been put in place are now starting to bear fruit. Uh, unfortunately, there was another death in the last 24 hours, a 76-year-old man in South Australia who caught COVID-19 while at a wine in the Barossa, uh, which is a lovely part of the world. But this particular winery uh, was visited by a Swiss tour group, uh, which uh, someone there must have must have been infected because that winery has been responsible for a cluster of COVID-19 cases in South Australia. Yeah, it's uh, been very bad for them over there. And, and that really did come through from the cruise ship people, right? Yeah, that's right. And it's uh, the third death in South Australia. So they, they don't want to see any more, but they, they're trying to manage that situation as best they can. Yep. And worldwide, how's it looking? Worldwide, uh, we've cracked the one and a half million mark where 1.51 million confirmed cases of coronavirus. Uh, there are be many, many more that are unconfirmed, uh, but they don't make the official statistics. And 88,549 people have lost their lives. Extraordinary. Well, back here at home, um, the government's focus has really been on mental health and we know that with people in isolation, this is a a massive problem. The Health Minister, Roger Cook, today said that many people are experiencing high levels of anxiety, high levels of stress. As a result of that, they've launched a $450,000 campaign, which has been brought forward by the Mental Health Commission. And this campaign is to be positive be connected and be happy and that they're just hoping that this campaign will help people to do that while then they're in these long periods of self-isolation. Yeah, well, we know even in a good year when there's no pandemic around and people aren't losing their jobs in such vast numbers and, and trapped in their homes, suicide takes a big toll on our society. So given these 
additional conditions which are certainly conducive to depression, to isolation, feelings of loneliness. Uh, it's a perfect storm when it comes to mental health concerns. And so uh, the health minister wrote a column in the West Australian newspaper today where he spoke about it at length. And then in his press conference today, he doubled down on that message, uh, urging people, if you if you are experiencing uh, mental health issues, if you if you are considering uh, hurting yourself to, to get help, there are phone numbers, there are helplines that people can call. He's worried that they're not seeing people presenting to the emergency departments with uh, mental health issues. Those numbers are down. That could be because people just don't want to go to hospital because they're worried about being infected. And that's we're seeing that across, I think, every every type of, of medical issue. Those people aren't presenting at hospitals at the moment. Uh, and so that means they're out in the community. They're dealing with these issues potentially on their own, which is a, a terrible situation. Uh, and so they're, they're, they're concerned about self-harm. They're looking into it. They're looking at ways that they can help. Uh, this this new initiative is a step in the right direction, but obviously it's an ongoing dialogue uh, and it's it's a tricky situation to manage the best of times, uh, but the COVID-19 pandemic makes it even more difficult. That's right. And it's very, very difficult for people who are forced into isolation, people who are staying in hotel rooms for 14 days, they don't have access to anyone. And really, the question was asked, well, how are you going to cater for these people? And it's not really something that they have an exact answer for just yet. Well, like so many things that we've seen in the past few weeks uh, at a state and federal level, much of this, uh, and much of these initiatives and much of this legislation is really being done on the fly because this is, again, as we've said many times, a situation that none of us have any experience in. Uh, the governments and various organisations probably have, you know, emergency disaster response plans and things like that, but nothing could have ever prepared them for what we're experiencing now: the the unemployment on such a huge scale, the isolation. Uh, the the stresses and the anxieties of potentially getting a virus that can kill you. These are all things that we don't have the existing mechanisms to deal with. So they're trying to figure out how to do that on the fly. Some it, It's going to be a work in progress, I think, is the best way to, to do it. And you would just urge people who are feeling uh, a bit anxious and a bit, a bit concerned for their own safety to take advantage of those helplines uh, and try and get as much help and assistance as they can. Yeah, and I guess one particular group who really could struggle uh, with this is the FIFO Brigade who, you know, there's talk now of this four-week swing shift coming back, being forced into two weeks of self-isolation and then heading back to your shift. Now, we know that um, FIFO workers have a history of, of having to deal with mental health issues in terms of the swings and being separated from their families. Uh, this would be really tough for them. Yeah, well, we know the FIFO cohort sees uh, sort of a, an elevated uh, risk of suicide compared to other uh, groups in society. So, yeah, the fact that they're going to be separated from family uh, even more than they already are, and especially when they know that their family might be going through tough times themselves, has certainly raised some mental health issues within the FIFO community. Uh, there was a talk at one point of much longer swings and it wasn't until the, the mental health aspect was raised that I think a lot of resource companies pulled back from that idea. But the, the other thing to, to remember in this situation is there is a percentage of these FIFO workers who 
don't mind the idea of doing a longer swing because there is there is a financial incentive. Some companies offer sign-on bonuses if they're willing to do these longer swings. And so the idea that, that the longer swings are off the table probably came as a disappointment to some people who are maybe at home, their partner is not working at the moment because of the coronavirus situation and they could have used that extra money. So there's no easy answer, but I think you have to always try and uh, protect the most vulnerable uh, and that's that's what the government's trying to do uh, it's it's a challenging situation i don't think anyone would deny that uh, and uh, it's it's being managed uh, on a case by case basis and certainly uh, on the best evidence that we have in front of us at this time yeah i mean it's it's a very difficult tightrope to walk on the one hand we have to weigh up the mental health and the health of people on the other hand we've got the economic impact of coronavirus and keeping the industry moving keeping right. the workers up there um, so that balance there is a very very difficult thing to manage uh, up in the kimberley you mentioned about the aboriginal population up there and the and the fears that um, coronavirus virus would get up there and would take hold. Well, the Broome Clinic opened yesterday and quite a few people went in to get tested. Yeah, 31 people were tested yesterday up in Broome uh, and we're going to see more of that in the coming days because, as we mentioned at the start of the show, it's a huge concern what's happening up there at the moment. The fact that there are health workers who have been dealing with the community who've been infected. Uh, at the moment, though, the state government is confident is the word that they use. They're confident that there have been no uh, Aboriginal patients exposed to COVID-19. You hope that they're right. I think mm. it's it's a word I would use is they're, they're hopeful. <laughs> I don't know how you could be confident, but certainly it's something that they're really investigating as fully as they can to determine whether or not that is the case. Uh, Indigenous uh, Australian Minister Ken Wyatt has, has said that uh, unlike uh, Indigenous Australia's, uh, uh, coronavirus doesn't have a song line or a storyline. So it's, it's very hard to communicate the message of the dangers uh, to uh, Indigenous people. They, they have no uh, background in in this type of this type of issue, uh, so there's a communication uh, role that needs to be played as well as the medical role to ensure that it doesn't spread throughout uh, remote communities in Western Australia, which would be a, a terrible thing. That we know that there are uh, underlying health uh, concerns that um, are more prevalent in Aboriginal communities, and, and with the lack of access to uh, medical resources as well, uh, it would be it would be a, a deadly deadly outbreak if there was a COVID-19 to spread through those communities. That's right. There was some, actually some startling um, information coming out of the United States with the African-American population who in some states of the United States are representing as more than 70% of the confirmed cases of COVID and they're putting this down to the fact that many of them have underlying health conditions, diabetes, you know, various things like that. So it's quite startling when one particular group is more greatly affected than another. Yeah, well, for the African-American community in America, it's a big concern at the moment because in some states they might only represent, uh, you know, 15% of the population. But as you say, they're representing uh, 40 to 70% of the deaths of coronavirus in those states. Uh, part of the problem over there is in addition to the prevalence of underlying health issues, they're also, as a cohort, more likely to be in those jobs where they come into contact with people. So jobs like working in supermarkets or taxi drivers or whatever it might be, uh, and they're not in a financial, less likely to be in a financial position where they can afford to stay at home. So they're forced to work when others are self-isolating at home, which puts them in harm's way uh, in, at a greater risk uh, than other cohorts in the community. 
Yeah, that's right. Well, we know that the testing criteria was amended and that kicked off today and as a result of that, more people are getting tested already and uh, 35 people turned up at Fiona Stanley by 10 o'clock in the morning as opposed to um, the day before, which they only saw 30 or so people for the whole day. So that is a good news that people are getting tested because this is how we will know exactly how many people in the community do have the virus um, and you know the work being done in Western Australia is being talked about not just around the country but around the world and they're saying that you know WA could be the leaders and could be the guinea pigs when it comes to looking at when will the restrictions be lifted. Yeah well Mark McGowan was asked that question in his press conference today and uh, you could tell that the Premier bristled a little bit at the idea that uh, his population would be guinea pigs for uh, the coronavirus uh, with the rest of the world looking on. He said that that he didn't see it that way. He didn't think that we would be the guinea pigs, which is a ho- really a horrible way I, to... I guess it's just a bad terminology to it's use. It's a terrible <laughs> term. And you'd never see a Premier uh, going along with that. But uh, because of our low infection rate and our uh, geographical isolation, uh, we've seen uh, very positive results where other areas around the world have just their infection rate has exploded so but as far as the premier is concerned he wants to see sustained uh improvement in this infection rate he wants to make sure that the numbers that we're seeing these encouraging numbers are not just uh, a fluke or not just a sort of a you know we get a false sense of security because uh, we haven't tested everybody that might have it so he wants to see this increased testing rollout he wants to see the results of that and he cautioned people not to uh, think that the relaxing of restrictions was going to come anytime soon because it's that's the uncertainty i think it paralyzes people it paralyzes businesses if they think it's only going to be a couple of weeks then maybe they won't introduce a big change to their business if they think they're going to be reopening soon the premier said You've got to expect this is going to be going for six months, although he did say that they'll be reviewing it on a monthly basis. If they're seeing sustained improvement, if they're not seeing community transmission, he hinted that we could see some restrictions relaxed, but certainly he didn't want to be pinned down to any specifics Mm -hmm. because the simple fact is... We don't have any specifics at the moment. No. There, are, there are so many unknowns. Uh, we don't know them. The Premier doesn't know them. The reality is nobody knows them. We have to wait and see. And that's the only answer uh, as far as this question goes. Uh, and all we can hope is that the increased testing will start to give us a true indication if the encouraging numbers that we've seen in the past week are a trend or if we're kidding ourselves. Yeah, I mean, we'd all love a date, wouldn't we, to to take our calendar and circle a particular day in, in the months to come and then start to plan our lives after that point. But the reality is this is unprecedented. We don't have a crystal ball. The government don't have a crystal ball. And we're just going to work our way through it as best we can. And, and that's the reality. And it's a very strange reality to live with. Yep. And if you do the, if you relax them too soon and everybody goes about their lives as if this had never happened and starts mass gathering again, like it doesn't take much. We've seen how easily this virus spreads, uh, you know, you know, at a wedding of a of hundred people, 50 people could get it. So, and then all of a sudden you're in a terrible situation, you're back to square one and nobody wants to see that. So the government will certainly be taking this very cautiously. And they are taking everything very seriously, including going surfing when perhaps you shouldn't be in a place where you shouldn't be. And the uh, uh, Premier and the Police Commissioner were asked about Nat Fife, fantastic footballer. Has he perhaps uh, not read the room here? 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's putting it diplomatically, Nat. So the story broke today that Nat Fife has been photographed uh, surfing in Margaret River with two other blokes, uh, one of whom was an Australian hockey player. Uh, and you can see from the photo that uh, it doesn't look like he's maintaining a social distance with his mate as they're walking up from going surfing. And there are questions to be asked why he was there in the first place. The Dockers have come out and defended their star and said that he was driving trucks for his old man in Lake Grace. And as part of that job, uh, he was in Margaret River to pick up uh, some lime or something like that and then had gone surfing because that's part of his exercise regime. I'm not sure how many people in the community are buying that right now. It's certainly not a good look when no. all week we've, we've heard the Premier and the Commissioner asked about surfers flouting the uh, intrastate travel restrictions. Uh, and uh, it's, it was interesting today that the Police Commissioner, Chris Dawson, admitted that they were going to be looking yes. into this situation. So I know that the state government has been talking about uh, exemptions for footy players uh, for a potential AFL season restart, but I'm pretty sure there's no exemptions for Nat <laughs> Fife when it comes to intrastate travel. And so, and the police police media confirmed to me separately that indeed this was something that they were looking into. And geez, if you were Nat Fife, uh, you'd have to be thinking that you know, will they make an example out of me? Because the the police and the government have been at pains to stress how important it is that all of us follow the rules, and there are no exceptions to those rules. And the penalties are you know a thousand dollar on the spot fine or worse. Uh, and so the idea that the police will be investigating this, I think, is appropriate. Uh, people people who are defending him, you know, like sure you can say that he's not really hurting anybody because it's probably one of the most isolated surf breaks in the world surfing down there in Margaret River but the fact remains we have rules in place everybody else have to follow them if he's broken them well then there's a penalty to pay that's right it's not an essential service and and as the um, as the police commissioner said you know there are questions that need to be asked and there will need to be very good answers uh, let's have a listen to what the premier had to say well look it's not a good look on the face of it uh, and obviously uh, the rules and the law apply equally to everyone, uh, but I'll let the police uh, do their investigation. So, not a good look there, as we've heard. Uh, also not a good look is a New South Wales minister who has been caught flitting from his home to his holiday home in these coronavirus times when the rest of us are in basically lockdown. Yeah, like what a goose! I think <laughs> is the is the only word I can use to describe this. Uh, and you talk about you know Nat Fife being a role model, and he has an obligation to you know set a standard for everybody else to follow, as we've seen so many celebrities do online at the moment. And if you're a, if you're a government minister, then that bar uh, for doing the right thing is set so much higher than a footy player. So the idea that Don Harwin has has been staying at his Central Coast holiday home when Everybody else in New South Wales is told that's not appropriate. We'll put it this way: even the premier weighed, even the prime minister weighed in yeah. on this issue. So this is certainly uh, a matter that Don Harmon will have to have a very good explanation for. There's a very legitimate calls for him to step step down as a minister, and I would be surprised if he survives this, given the community sentiment at the moment. Absolutely, uh, the premier will be under enormous pressure to, as you mentioned, with Fife, make an example of this because it's just unacceptable. And in the in South Australia, also unacceptable are people gathering despite us being told over and over again not to do so. So 
Over there, they've uh, 11 people have been fined $1,000 each for failing to comply with the coronavirus-related directions at a social gathering. So there was some noise complaints, um, which resulted in police turning up at the property, and there they were, this group of people. What were they thinking? Exactly. Like if if you're going to flout the rules, at least have the decency to do it quietly. The fact that they had this gathering, they were creating so much noise that uh, the neighbours have called the cops in Port Augusta and the the police have uh, turned up four times over Tuesday and Wednesday this week. And each time during that visit, they've found 13 people uh, in the backyard or inside this property. And uh, on three of those occasions, uh, they were provided a sort of social distancing and and, uh, gathering a prohibited gathering advice from police. They've obviously ignored that and left the police with no option but to uh, fine these 11 people who are aged between 32 and 57 years. And I think it's timely uh, a timely warning heading into Easter. If there are uh, plenty of people in Perth who are thinking, well, you know, it's, we seem to be doing pretty well with this coronavirus situation. We can have a family gathering for Easter. The fact is you can't. You can't. You cannot do it. It is not appropriate. People with inside your house, you can hang out with them and enjoy it, use technology to connect with other members of your family. But just for now, we all have to do our best to stick to the rules. Uh, maybe they'll be relaxed at some point in the future. Uh, it's not going to be for Easter weekend. Don't even think about it. Do the right thing. That's right. And it's just not the sort of thing at the moment that you can hide because people are looking out for it. And if you think that people yep. won't dob you in because it's an un-Australian thing to do, think again. People yeah. are thinking about their lives here. They will dob you in. doesn't matter if you're the next door neighbour or maybe even your own mother. If she's breaking the rules, people will be letting the authorities know. Well, it's more like it's more like uh, you know when you're back in school, and there was there was always that goody goody kid who would dob in everybody else uh, because they do the right thing and they resent people who are getting that's away right. with breaking the rules. And that's and we're all now the goody goodies. Everybody who's doing the right thing is everybody admits that you know we're all inconvenienced by this coronavirus situation. Uh, nobody would say otherwise. But if you're doing the right thing and you see your next door neighbours having a big party, you'd be thinking, well, I would love to be doing that too, but I'm not because I'm doing the right thing. I'm calling the cops and. And the police are, are happily taking those calls because there are the reasons that the rules are here. The police are enforcing them, uh, but they can't do it on their own. And they are relying on the community to help them find the people who are, aren't sticking to the rules. That's right. It is so quiet out there, you can hear a pin drop. So yeah. <laughs> don't leave your front door. We'll know about it. Moving over to the United States, what's the modelling looking like over there? Well, it's still some grim numbers. They've crossed 14,000 deaths in America, 400,000 cases. Uh, But despite those numbers of deaths rising on a daily basis, the modelling has been encouraging. The the latest uh, modelling coming out of the White House suggests that they are approaching the peak of infections and they might be starting to go down the other side. What they're probably seeing is uh, some of their their tough measures that they've been taking, which admittedly have come a little later than other countries uh, and have probably contributed quite a, a lot to the the grim situation there at the moment. But they're starting to see the impact of some of those measures and it's suggesting that there is hope on the horizon. And I know in America at the moment, uh, it is it is so important for them to have hope to cling to because they've seen a lot of death. They've seen a, a huge amount of suffering and we'd just like to see nothing more than uh, the world's most powerful country actually yeah. start to make progress. Yeah, that's right. And and talking about um, the unusual ways in which sports stars and celebrities are keeping us entertained, well, the UFC, 
doesn't want to be held back. And I just find this extraordinary. <laughs> They're going to hold their fight on a private island. Yeah, well, Dana White, the uh, the head honcho of the UFC, is look. He's a pretty colourful character and uh, is is renowned for doing things a little bit differently, for doing it his own way. And so, he's been committed to the idea of continuing to hold UFC fights despite the pandemic. And he maybe has found a way to do that. What he's planning is uh, getting the combatants of the next uh, UFC 249 uh, and bringing them, the officials and the, the camera people and the staff, testing them all for coronavirus and then flying them on a private plane to a private island where there'll be nobody else, where they'll you know have, have their isolation, they'll be removed from any chance of getting the virus and they'll set up their octagon and that is where they will have the fight, which will be televised by ESPN. He's promised that it's going to happen this month on April 18 and Given the popularity of USC uh, anytime, the idea that this will be one of the few sporting events happening anywhere in the world on April 18, like as far as a pay-per-view audience goes, it could be unprecedented. Yeah. And even though you see other sports trying to come back soon, the NRL is trying to do something which is being questioned in a lot of quarters. The AFL is trying to do something. It's a little bit more delayed, um, although there are still some doubts around that. Uh, the way the UFC is doing it is certainly uh, thinking outside the box and it, it could work. Like if everybody's doing things the right way, they can't do it in America because pretty much every state has legislated against non-essential businesses. So ESPN can't open. Um, certainly UFC couldn't hold a fight. So it'll probably be somewhere uh, outside of America's borders. But the amazing thing about this is the NRL in Australia actually considered this at one point. <laughs> Moving, moving, moving all the teams to a uh, to a, an island off the coast of Australia. Uh, so I, there, there's big money involved. I think that's what we have to remember here: uh, millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars for for professional sports who can find a way to get back on to the the airwaves. Uh, so every opportunity is being taken, every stone is being unturned, uh, and uh, and so yeah. Uh, an island for a UFC fight. Well, I guess a deserted island is the place to be right now. I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're somewhere exotic with Skipper and the captain and Mary Ann, <laughs> you're safe, right? There's no coronavirus on a deserted island. So, you know, you can understand why they're looking at that. And I guess fortunately here in Western Australia, you know, the Premier created here an island within an island. So we're at the next best thing. That's right. It's easy to keep. It's easy to keep a social distance away from Gilligan. I think that's probably the problem. <laughs> Keeping it away from Ginger and, and some of the, some of those people is a bit, bit tougher, though. I think certainly certainly for rugby league players, I think that's what they'll be looking at. How they keep those uh, those guys in lockdown over yep. the space of a couple of weeks. Um, now, some not good news out of Saudi Arabia, where as many as 150 members of the royal family there have been thought to have contracted coronavirus and this has led to them announcing a ceasefire um, in the war in Yemen starting at noon on Thursday. This is extraordinary that this could pave the way for the end of this five-year conflict and I guess these are the sorts of good things that are coming out of this pandemic. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's a ceasefire in Saudi Arabia and Yemen. We're also seeing in South Africa rival gangs who there's been so much bloodshed down there. It's one of the most dangerous countries in the world with the most, uh, with one of the highest murder rates. The the rival gangs have now declared a truce because of the coronavirus, and we're seeing that uh, all over the world. And it's a it's a kind of a small silver lining, but it's great to see that human life has been finally been put 
uh, at a higher importance than these uh, struggles over real estate or, or drug turfs or whatever it might be. There's a higher cause that people realise that they're fighting now. Uh, and it's uh, another way that the virus is bringing people together. That's right, because the real war that we're all fighting in right now is this pandemic, is coronavirus. And Kate, our producer, has just handed me a note to say that in New York, they've actually surpassed the death toll of 9-11, which goes to show that, you know, terrorism and these sorts of things that we have worried about for so long are on, on the back burner now because this is a war that we are all in and we're all fighting so hard. Yeah, absolutely, and it's and unlike a, unlike an actual war where we have trained soldiers and uh, and guns and military might and all the rest of it, this is a, this is a war that we are all fighting. It's not just our medical staff. It's not just the people on the front line. It's uh, you know Joe and Betty blogs in their suburban house who are being asked to help fight the war through their behaviour, and that's one of the most challenging things about this pandemic. But it's also one of the things that gives us the most hope because our our behaviour at the end of the day is in our own hands, uh, and if we do the right thing we'll see the result. Well, someone who's doing his bit is a leading UK heart and lung specialist. Now, he has retrained to become an ICU nurse. This is an amazing thing to do. He's uh, posted a video to Twitter. His name is Joel Dunning, and he's changed his Twitter name to Surgeon Turned Nurse. Let's have a listen. Uh, I have some experience of intensive care, but I'm not an expert by any means. So our fantastic nurses in our ITU have trained me over the last week uh, to help. Uh, and uh, there's been a huge pressure that we've got 20 nurses off in our intensive care. So I've chosen to change jobs uh, and to work full time doing nursing shifts, trying to help out because that's where the pressure is now. And that's where the pressure is going to be. Uh, so thank you very much to our intensive care nurses. Uh, I think I did an OK job. And uh, we are going to uh, face uncertain times. We need everybody to step up to the mark to do new jobs and new roles. Uh, this is one way I can help, but there's loads of different ways that everybody is helping in the hospital. And everyone, I'm pleased to say, is pulling together really well in the hospital, uh, doing new jobs and new roles. And I'm delighted to be working with our intensive care nurses uh, to look after the sickest people in our hospital. Good on on him. I mean, it's a great thing to do. I am curious, however, as to whether he has traded his surgeon's salary for that of a of a nurse. <laughs> I was just about to say the same thing. A couple of hundred thousand pound pay cut yeah. uh, to a nurse's salary, but I think I think it is fantastic, and especially because there is you know sort of the, the hierarchy in the uh, in the medical community, and the surgeons are right at the apex of that, especially the specialists. And so I think it just goes to show in the NHS and in hospital systems around the world that. Everybody's pulling together, uh, and it's it's the nurses, it's the doctors. They're all coming together because this is such a, a challenging time for them. They're at risk of catching the virus, but they're also under so much pressure to treat the number of patients, especially in the UK where they've been hit really bad. Uh, and so this is good. I think it's a, a, a lighthearted moment from Joel Dunning, and good on him for doing it. <laughs> I think there are probably a lot of other doctors out there who could maybe put their egos aside and uh, and pull on a nurse's scrubs, and uh, that's that's what's required. Most definitely. Now, closer to home, someone else who has also developed a bit of a following for his little exercise regime. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, Tony Beauty, the member for uh, uh, Armadale, he's, he's, he's one of the 
uh, fittest and smartest pollies in the WA Parliament. Uh, he was a PE teacher, then uh, turned a legal academic, uh, and he's also written uh, about a dozen books as well. He's very smart, and he started doing daily uh, workout routine, routines uh, that he's doing at home and posting on his Twitter page for his followers to keep fit, because it's very important to keep fit when you're at home. Don't let yourself go. Uh, but unlike, unlike most people, uh, they can't do their sort of leg raises using books that they've written themselves. So sort of a <laughs> humble brag quality to it as well. Let's have a listen. Hey, going it's Tuesday this morning. We're going to do an aerobic session, a 10-minute jog. You've got to keep this off quick running. So after two minutes, you do a 30-second quick sprint. Then you're back to jogging. People often ask what pace you should do it at. Often you should do it at a place you can talk, but I reckon you should do it at a place where you can eat at the best. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I haven't been doing the exercises, but I have been having a look to get a smile on my face because seeing him jogging up and down on the spot there and doing press-ups against the uh, desk is quite funny. I have to say, I'm guilty of that as well. I haven't done a single one of his <laughs> exercises, but it always puts a smile on my face. Yeah. And uh, so and we were talking about mental health earlier in the show. We know that that's important as well, to find a smile wherever you can. So thanks, Tony. Uh, we're we're exercising our jaw muscles. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're enjoying it. Don't stop. <laughs> well, that's the latest, latest on COVID-19 here in WA and around the world for April 9th. Have a safe and happy Easter. As the health minister told us, be positive be connected and be active. We'll be back next week for Coronavirus Watch. Catch us wherever you get your podcast.